Well, this morning I'm curious how you think you would respond if you had witnessed one of Jesus' miracles. Think about that. A couple weeks ago we talked about Jesus turning water into wine. I want you to imagine that you were there. You were one of the servants. You were somebody who saw this happen. You witnessed it. How would you have responded? You, you can shout it out in here. We're a shouting church. Would you dance? Would you sing? Would you like post it on Facebook? Maybe, you know, put it on Instagram? Have a little glass of wine in celebration of the miracle? Or a big glass of wine? Like what would you do if you witnessed one of Jesus's Miracles, or later in John chapter 4, we find there's somebody whose son was very sick. And Jesus healed the child. I mean, how would you react and respond? I mean, I think I know how, what, what I would do because a couple years ago uh, at a Christmas party, do y'all remember Christmas parties? Y'all remember those? At a Christmas party, uh, out of the blue, it was a surprise out of left field, I got a mini iPad that I had been wanting and I lost my mind. I began dancing and running around the house and clapping, and I just couldn't take it anymore. And if I would do that over a mini iPad, I can only imagine the joy, the exuberance, what I would be feeling and thinking if I saw one of Jesus' miracles. I mean, I'd probably fall prostrate in front of him and worship him, thank him. That's what we find this family doing. They, they believe in him, and I'm sure after that, they would, they would do anything Jesus wanted him to do. I think most of us, if we think about encountering one of Jesus' miracles, I think we would be joy-filled. We would be faith-filled. We would be overflowing. Which is why the story we're going to look at today, to me, is, is pretty interesting. Because in the miracle story we're going to look at today in John chapter 5, Jesus does something pretty spectacular. And yet, not everybody has that reaction that you and I think we would have. Some people are actually upset about the miracle and come at Jesus in opposition over it. And so this morning we're going to be in John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open up, up with us there or the Bible app. Or if you're following along, you can read it on the screen. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version this morning. Here's what John writes. Sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. And the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But the man who had just been healed, he replied, he said, Well, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. 
So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Here's something I want you to see with this miracle and all of Jesus' miracles. It's that Jesus' miracles always help reveal his mission. Jesus' miracles always help reveal his mission. And here in this story, we find that Jesus' mission is very different than the mission of the religious leaders of his day. And so if we kind of revisit the story, what we find is John tells us that this takes place where? In Bethesda, by, by a pool of water. And there, there was a covering, and, and this is a place where all sorts of people hung out. The blind, the lame, people who were sick and desperate. I mean, there was all sorts of, I mean, it was just like a hodgepodge of people, but they all had one thing in common. They were all desperate and in need of healing. And the reason they were hanging out in this one spot together was because there was a pool of water there. And there was a, a local legend that, that every once in a while, an angel or a spirit would come down, touch the water, the water would bubble, and the first person who made it in would be healed. So you can imagine the pandemonium that would happen when that water began to bubble, right? I mean, people are just flailing, pushing each other out of the way. I mean, you would fight to get to the front, wouldn't you? You'd be pushing, you'd be doing all sorts of stuff. So that was the kind of the area like this. And you can imagine that the religious leaders of the day, they didn't like going anywhere near this area. They avoided those people. They tried to get away from them as much as possible. So they were probably glad they all kind of hung out in one place. And there's this one man we're introduced to who's been there for 38 years. Well, he's been unable to walk for 38 years. We don't know how long he was lying on his mat there by the water, but this man, he was, he was pretty hopeless because imagine the water stirs, how's he going to get there? He can't walk, who's going to help him? The other people around who want healing? No, they're not going to help him, they're going to get in the water themselves. So this man's lying there pretty hopeless and what we find is that Jesus doesn't avoid this place, he doesn't avoid these people, instead Jesus draws near. He intentionally goes to this place where the sick, the desperate, and the needy are. And I love in verse, verse 6, John writes this, when Jesus saw him lying there, Jesus saw him. And I wonder when the last time somebody just looked at that guy was. When the last time somebody just gave this man their undivided attention and their focus and their gaze, it's probably a long time, but Jesus, Jesus saw him. 
And he asked them a question. I don't know if you caught the question. It's a question of dignity and a question of agency. The question was, do you want to be made well? And in the Greek, this made well, it, it can mean kind of, do you want to be healed? Some translations say that. More generally, it's this idea, do you want to be made whole? So Jesus asked the man the question. And the man, I mean, he's like, you know, telling all the reasons why he can't get healed, why he can't get to the water, because he doesn't have anybody to help him out, and how he's just kind of stuck there. But Jesus, the man who was in front of him that day, had all power and authority and had the ability to heal him. So he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the man does it. So you can imagine his response, right? I mean, how, how do you think he responded? He was, probably, he was probably dancing. He was probably, you know, slapping his legs. He had his mat in his hand, and he's like, I'm getting out of here, right? He didn't necessarily want to be in this place for all these years. He, he went, and, and we find that he kind of went towards the temple. He was likely going to give thanksgiving and praise to God. And so he is on his way. He has experienced Jesus' mission. And Jesus' mission is to make people whole. He has been a recipient of it. So he goes to the temple. He has his mat under his arms. He's walking around. And then like I mentioned earlier, this is when the story gets kind of interesting. Because the religious leaders see him and you know, you'd think you'd celebrate with somebody. Couldn't walk for 38 years. Now they are. But, but they're not celebrating him, him. Instead of a celebration, they have a confrontation. And they, they say, why are you carrying your mat? Why are you carrying your mat? It's the Sabbath. You see, their mission, especially on that day, they were milling around and they were trying to find people breaking God's law. They were enforcing their interpretation of God's law upon others. And so they find him and they say, what are you doing? And now for, for us today, I mean, you're probably thinking, well, why... Why was carrying a mat on the Sabbath, like, why would that be wrong? And it's because they had, they had added on all of these different categories, all of these different stipulations, 39 categories of things you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day, and carrying your mat was one of them. And so this man, who couldn't walk after 38 years, is carrying his mat. They're, he's confronted with these Pharisees and these religious leaders, and then they're, they're like, who did this? And then they learn it was Jesus. And so then they, they come to Jesus and they confront him and they're, they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing telling this man on the Sabbath to get up and to carry his mat? And Jesus' answer is a little cryptic, but basically what he says is he says, my, heaven, my heavenly father, I didn't know what happened there. He says, my heavenly father continues to work. My Heavenly Father continues to give life. My Heavenly Father continues to sustain life on the Sabbath. And I'm about my Father's business. And so I'm doing those same things. And, and this is really a turning point here in the gospel. Because when Jesus gives them that answer, they are not satisfied. They're not satisfied. And this is really when they begin to follow him, but not out of faith, out of 
fear of what he's doing and who he is. And they begin to persecute him. They begin trying to build their case against him. You see, when, when Jesus is living out his mission, there's always opposition. And, and you know how the story continues, right? I mean, most of you have been in church. You know where, where the gospel is leading. The gospel is leading to the cross because they're so angry that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath that he is claiming equality with God, that God is his father and that he has power from on high, that he is God's agent in this world. And this is making them so furious. They say, you know what, we're, we're going to torture him, but the torture couldn't stop him. They say, you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna to humiliate him, but the humiliation couldn't stop him. They say, you know what, we're going to kill him, but killing him on the cross couldn't stop him because on the third day, he rose from the dead in victory. And nothing could stop Jesus's mission. That's what the resurrection declares to us. And Jesus's mission continued even after it faced opposition in this world. And the good news for you and me is that Jesus's mission continues to this very day. And that's one thing I love about this story is why I'm drawn to it. Because yes, we see Jesus's mission on this micro level with this man. But if we zoom out a little bit and kind of take a, a, a bigger picture approach to what's going on, we, we see how Jesus's mission continues to operate in our lives today. You see, just as Jesus went to that place, that pool where all those people were needy, broken, hurting, and in need of wholeness, Jesus continues to go to people who need those things today. And you might not identify with the guy who, you know, couldn't walk for 38 years. You might think, your stuff is, is smaller. But I mean, I, I think if we're honest, we can all think of areas of our lives where we need healing. Areas of our lives that are, that are broken in need of restoration. We can all think of our sins and how we need forgiveness. We need wholeness. We need light in the midst of darkness in our lives. And, and, and the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, he doesn't avoid us. He doesn't say, hey, get yourself cleaned up, you know, help yourself and then come and see me. No, Jesus comes to those who can't help themselves. He draws near to each and every one of us. And out of love, out of compassion, he sees us. He sees us just like he saw that man. He sees the good. He sees the bad. He sees the ugly. His eyes are on us. And out of love, he asks that same question he asked that man long ago. He says to us, and I think he's saying this morning, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? And he's not asking it as, as a random person. He's asking it as one who has all power and authority to do so. And, and this question is, it's an interesting one to think about because what it implies is that we can, we can resist God's grace. We can say no to Jesus. We can say, you know what? No, I don't want to be made well. And honestly, sometimes we say that to him. Sometimes we, we say, you know what? That this sin in my life... I know you offer forgiveness from it and, and freedom over it, but 
we're just comfortable with it. He offers freedom over things like addiction and restoration and relationships. But a lot of times we just become used to the brokenness in the life we're living. And so we just kind of say, you know what, Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. A lot of times we don't know there's more. We don't know there's life. We don't know there's wholeness because we've been living in brokenness for so long. But Jesus offers us that question of dignity and agency. Do you want to be made well? And if we're willing to receive his grace, his living power and presence in our lives, he has the power to restore the broken things to forgive us of our sins, to give us freedom over sin. He has the power to heal us physically in this life. And sometimes he does it, but we also have the hope that in the life to come, we will be healed of all things and we will be made completely whole when we're with him in eternity. He says, do you want to be made well? And he offers his grace to each of us because he loves us. And his eyes... Are on us, but but also want you to see, just like back then, as Jesus continues his mission today, there's there's always going to be opposition. And sometimes the opposition comes from inside of the church, and and people put off the vibe or they say, you know what, that person's always been like that. They're not gonna change. They say, you know what, we welcome people here, but there might be a better church for you. Or we think, you know what, that person's kind of hopeless. Sometimes the opposition to Jesus' mission comes from inside of the church like it did from religious institutions back then. Sometimes it comes from outside of the church. You know this, old friends pulling you back into old habits and old ways of thinking. Sometimes the opposition comes from, from people making fun of us and saying, you know what, you're, you're a, a Jesus freak or a, a Bible thumper. Why do you give your money to the church, an institution that can't be trusted? I mean, you, you know, we have plenty of opposition today, but sometimes the opposition comes from inside of ourselves. The, these old scripts that we play over and over, God doesn't love you, we tell ourselves. You're never going to change. He can't really do that. That was then. You're dumb. You have no purpose. God can't use someone like you. We tell ourselves these things. But just as Jesus' mission couldn't be stopped back then, it can't be stopped today. It continues. His grace continues to be poured out on us. And when we receive that grace and begin to, to be healed, to be made whole, to be on this journey of restoration and reconciliation, Jesus does one final thing. He, he asks us one more question, and this question is an invitation. He says, will you join me? Will you join me in my mission now that you've been made whole? You know, like I do, there are plenty of places like that colonnade in the pool of Bethesda today. Plenty of places where people who are in desperate need and who are pushed to the margins of society, there's plenty of places where those people still congregate, where churches and religious people kind of avoid. There is a world out there that is in desperate need of healing and grace 
And, and Jesus, he's already with these people. He simply wants us to join him in his work, to go near to them, to see them, and, and to give them dignity and agency like, like he does to us. And he wants us to offer his grace to them. This is what the early church did. Throughout the book of Acts, we see it over and over again. Peter and John, they encounter one man who's, who's desperate, who's in need, and they say, silver and gold? Yeah, I don't have a lot of that. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. And as they went around joining Jesus in his mission, they saw people healed. They saw lives restored. They saw cultures changed. They saw the world become transformed. And that mission continues today. And so this morning, I want to close with these two questions. Number one, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? Jesus is offering himself to you this morning. He's here. If you're watching online, he is wherever you are. And he wants to work in your life out of love. If you'll just say, yes, I, I receive him. I, I don't want that old way of life. I, I want a new way of life with you, Jesus. He has the power to make you whole. And then the second question is, will you join him? Will you join him in his mission of making all things whole? By going to those in need and sharing his love with the least, the last, and the lost. And, and this morning, if you want special prayer over, uh, over something in your life, we would be glad for, for leaders in our church to, to, to pray over you, to pray for you. Because we're living out this mission together. So let's go before God and ask him to meet us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. There's nothing we want more than you and your power and your presence in our lives because we know that you can make broken things new. You can make darkness light. You can forgive us of our sins and give us new life. You alone have the power to give us life now and life to the full in eternity. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come in these moments. Meet us in our deepest places of need. Do a work of restoration in each of us, but, but don't, don't help us just to stay static, standing where we are. Send us out. Send us out to go and to meet people where they are, to see those who are in need, to give them dignity and to offer Christ to them. We love you. We love you, Holy Spirit, and we thank you for this day. In Christ's holy name, amen.